0: The Murder Mystery Podcast. The story unfolds each week. Will you guess the killer? On the Murder Mystery Podcast. It's the London Connection. Episode 3. As she approaches the conference room the next morning, Olivia can't help thinking about Stephen Boyd. She tries to recall the details of the three conversations that they'd had. The interview... The lunch at carriage's, and the drinks with Ellen in the bar of Brown's hotel. Did he give any clues that might connect to his death? What does she already know about him? By all accounts a ladies' man, however that is defined these days, but also seemingly happily married. His death could have been an accident, of course. But her legal mind already suspects that it wasn't. Had he slept with someone's wife or girlfriend? And had someone sought revenge? Or was there something that connects his death to the contract that he was managing and the bidders? Both Jeremy and Greer Alpin seem confident, driven and conniving. Did Stephen cross them and end up risking his life? She can't answer any of these questions before she reaches the meeting room. Heather and Millie are at the front on a raised stage. Forty chairs are laid out before them. Millie is pointing out parts of the documents that Heather is holding, and she nods as she listens. After a few seconds, Heather sees Olivia. Good. Can you read this and give me your comments, please? She hands the papers to Olivia, who sits in the front row and reads the document, which is a statement about Stephen's death. After a minute, Heather says, Thoughts? It's a bit impersonal, says Olivia. You need more on Clare and his personal qualities before you get into this long list of his career highlights, I'd suggest. Heather frowns. Hmm. Olivia writes some words on her copy of the papers and some arrows to restructure the speech, then hands it back to the minister. The woman scans the changes and says, Right, after a few seconds. Shall I get them in, minister? says Millie. It's ten o'clock. Thank you. Millie goes out, and a minute later the door opens, and she leads in journalists, who sit near the front of the room. Olivia takes a seat to one side, and after Heather has read the prepared statement and said a few words personally that were not written down on the papers, she asks if there are any questions, and the journalists don't disappoint. What will happen now? Is she backfilling the job immediately? Does this affect the agenda for the coming Parliament? Heather answers them all with aplomb, having been a marketing director before her parliamentary career. Any more? She says at the end. A man who is halfway down the room and has clear blue eyes puts his hand up. Yes? Ethan Poole, the international courier, does the minister think that Stephen Boyd's death is connected to the other deaths of people close to companies run by Boyd's wife's family over the last ten years? Heather stops. She looks at the journalist without speaking. She isn't nervous. She's a masterclass of calm composure. Mr. Poole, Stephen Boyd was a remarkable civil servant who served his country for over a decade. He leaves a young wife and colleagues who are mourning him. I find it distasteful that you might try to use this personal tragedy to further a campaign that, if I'm not mistaken, you alone— have been waging over these past years. I'm not going to give your question the credibility of a response. Thank you, everyone. Heather picks up the papers and walks directly to the side door, and Millie follows her out. Olivia stays seated and watches the journalists. Most of them start to chat about the press conference, but the man who asked the question at the end stands up and hurries out on his own. There's a note on Olivia's desk when she gets back saying that the police have called to remind her to go in and give her formal statement. So she decides to go to lunch then onto the address written on the note. The British Transport Police Headquarters is a grey square block on a crossroads in Camden. Olivia goes into the reception and is escorted to a grey square room on the fourth floor and told to wait. After ten minutes, a fair-haired man in a new light-grey suit, carrying a tablet computer, comes in and introduces himself as Inspector Savage, but is the opposite of his name. Savage listens while she recounts the events of the evening with Stephen, Then he types some words that summarise her story, and turns the tablet towards her. Read that and sign electronically at the bottom, if you would. She reads and signs. That's it, then, he says with a slight smile. "'How's the investigation going?' "'Well, officially all I can say is that we're following up a number of leads.' He smiles again. "'And off the record?' He looks around to check the door is closed. "'There isn't a great deal of evidence, to be honest.' "'Where did they find him?' she says. "'On a station, presumably, hence you're involved.' "'On the tracks outside Clapham.' "'Any forensics?' "'Got your lawyer nose on?' he says. "'There must be some.' She widens her eyes, knowing that this man wants to talk more, despite it being against the rules. "'Look, I've seen a few bodies on the tracks over the years,' says Savage. "'But not like this one.' "'How is he different?' "'Well, I don't want to be too graphic. "'I'm a big girl, Inspector.' He pauses, then says, Normally they get mangled a bit, you know. This one had no signs of any fall, but his face had been completely disfigured. We only ID'd him by his driver's license in his wallet. What did he die of? I can't tell you, I'm sorry. What time did he die? About one, I reckon. And who found him? Night workers repairing the track on platform four. The door opens and a young female officer with short red hair comes in. Gov the white that clapping body is here," she says. Then, when she sees Olivia, "Oh, sorry." Thanks, Lois," he says. Then turns to Olivia, "I'd better be going." Do you have a card, Inspector? Sure. He pulls out his wallet and produces a business card for her. It's straight along to the lifts," he adds as he opens the door. She shakes his hand and walks down the corridor. Downstairs in the reception area, a woman sits on one of the plastic chairs provided for guests. Olivia takes a punt. Are you Claire Boyd? she says to her. The woman is dark and her eyes show sadness. Yes. Are you the inspector? No, no, I work with Stephen. I've just been giving my statement. The woman visibly relaxes. Did you know him well? Not at all, really. I'm new, says Olivia. He seemed like a lovely man, though, Mrs. Boyd. He could be. He could be. She pauses. What's your name? Olivia. I'm a lawyer. Did you see him on the last day? Yes, a group of us had drinks after work. Was he happy? I think so. He called you, didn't he, on that evening? No, he didn't. Says Claire. Sorry, my mistake. The lift doors open and Lois appears. Would you like to come with me, madam? She says to Claire. Claire stands up. Mrs. Boyd, says Olivia. If you would like to talk, then here are my contact details. Olivia holds out a business card to her. For a second, the woman hesitates, then takes the card from her hand. Thank you. I'd like that. Olivia is surprised an hour later when a message arrives on her phone from Claire Boyd, inviting her to the family home this evening. The walk from Hampstead Tube Station takes Olivia down roads of large Victorian terraces and mature trees, now bare from the coldness. The road leads in the direction of the heath, and she checks the numbers off on the houses to find the one on the message that Claire had sent her. Most of the properties are apartments now, and the Boyd's flat had once been the basement kitchen of an eight-bedroomed house. Inside it's a large and spacious modern space with ownership over the garden. Lights are scattered across the outside shrubbery, highlighting features and fountains through the darkness. Claire shows her into a long living area of muted tones. She pulls two wine glasses and a bottle of red from the cupboard, and they sit opposite each other on two squashy sofas. Olivia waits while the woman pours the drinks, hands her one, then sits back down and takes a large gulp of wine. "'What did you think of him?' says Claire. "'Your husband?' Claire nods. "'Like I said this afternoon, he seemed kind.' "'He wasn't.' Olivia continues. He seemed good at his job? He was. He seemed to care about you? He didn't. Tell me about him, says Olivia. He was ten years older than me, begins Claire. We met at some business event. I do design work. He was charming. Why did you say he wasn't kind just now? It wasn't part of his makeup. Charming, yes. Kind, no. "'What else about him?' says Olivia. "'He liked women. I don't think he was faithful to me.' "'Did you tell him?' "'No.' "'What did you think when you heard he'd died?' says Olivia. "'I thought that something had finally caught up with him.' "'What?' "'A husband, maybe?' says Claire. "'Or someone he got on the wrong side of.' "'What do you mean?' says Olivia. Claire stands and picks up a letter from the sideboard. "'I received this yesterday,' she says, handing the paper to Olivia. Olivia reads the lines on the sheet. "'Your bloke was in deep shit. It all may come out unless you cooperate. Delivered by special courier. Do you know what it refers to?' "'No.' "'You need to go to the police,' says Olivia. "'I can't.' You don't know my family. We're well connected. My mother's a judge and my father's in the House of Lords. It would be a scandal if anything like this got out. You have to do something. People can't go around just threatening you and you do nothing. I'm not going to the police, says Claire. Who might do something like this? No idea. Stephen was a private person, particularly when it came to his business dealings, either in the department or outside. What sort of business dealings did he have outside the department? I don't really know. He was often on his phone late at night, she says, or hiding emails if I came in to his study. You'll excuse me for saying this, but he could have been speaking to other women, of course. Claire's eyes are heavier in that second. I should look through his laptop, says Claire. His solicitor gave me the password to his computer this afternoon but what am I looking for? Anything you didn't know about, that would be a good place to start. Claire knocks back another mouthful of wine. I've never done anything like this before. But you have. What do you mean? Lawyers, they do that, don't they? Says Claire. You must know about researching what happened in cases like this. When someone gets killed? Olivia doesn't answer, but stops to think. She knows how her own mind works and no matter how much she pushes this away as someone else's problem, the fact is that she could help this woman. Her resistance is poor when there's something she can do, and one of the reasons that Olivia got into the legal profession was to see people brought to justice. She takes a deep breath. When you search the computer, if anything looks untoward, why don't you send it to me? Thank you, says Claire. I want to be able to tell the truth to our child. I thought Stephen said you don't have kids?" Claire pats her stomach. We will in seven months' time. Did he know? No, says Claire. Olivia leaves the Boyd's house later in the evening, and walks back through the streets towards the tube station. The night is deathly quiet. No sound breaks through, despite traffic running down the hill at the road junction up ahead. The only sound she can hear is her heels on the paving. Then she hears something else. Is that steps behind her? She turns to look and there's no one there, and she tells herself off for being paranoid. But after another minute, she hears them again. This time, she's not mistaken. She looks around and sees a man in a dark overcoat, in half shadow, on the opposite side of the street. As she sees him, he stops and steps back under the trees that overhang the path at that side. She walks on, more briskly this time. In another minute she can see the tube station and its red and blue sign glowing in the December evening. Her mind is latched onto the sound of the footsteps behind her, and now she can tell the man, Quickening his pace. Olivia gets to the main road and walks out from the curb. A car is suddenly right in front of her, the headlights in her face. The driver lets off a long horn blast in anger. Olivia puts her hand up in apology, continues to the far side, and walks into the station. Just inside the doorway, she grabs a free paper from the stand and turns to the wall as though she is reading. The man enters within thirty seconds. She waits until he's gone through the gates and is waiting for the lift. Olivia plants herself on the far side of a group of six people. The lift arrives and the man goes in first. Olivia waits and goes in, last, keeping hidden from his view. They all descend to the track level and the man seems to be nervous, willing the car to go faster. He pulls the doors open and rushes off to the platforms. Olivia follows at a safe distance. She can see him scouring the faces of people on the platform as the train arrives. He waits, not getting on board but watching all those who do. As the door-closing alarm sounds, Olivia moves rapidly across the platform into a carriage. The man sees her, starts to move towards the train himself, but the doors close and he bangs on the door to get it open. There's a second when Olivia feels safer, then the doors open again, and the man gets on the train further down from where she's standing. The door alarm starts again. The doors move to lock her inside. At the last possible second, she puts her foot forward, blocking the door, then pushes through as the doors force themselves shut. She lands on the platform and the train moves out of the station. She scans the windows for the man. Then she sees him, staring at her through the rushing glass. As he passes her, he keeps his eyes locked on her all the way until the tunnel mouth swallows him and he disappears into the inky blackness.